Our call to worship is from Psalm 29, a psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. In his temple all cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Let's sing Psalm 9b. Psalm 9b to the tune of hymn number 25. Our scripture reading is from the prophet Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel chapter 17. And as we read this text, remember that Ezekiel the prophet was a contemporary of Daniel. And Ezekiel served as God's prophet in Israel while Daniel served as God's priest in Babylon. They were actually friends and they knew each other. So, Ezekiel chapter 17. We'll lay a context here for Daniel chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1 of Ezekiel chapter 17. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set forth an allegory and tell the house of Israel a parable. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. A great eagle with powerful wings, long feathers and full plumage of varied colors came to Lebanon, taking hold of the top of a cedar. He broke off its topmost shoot and carried it away to a land of merchants where he planted in a city of traders. He took some of the seed of your land and put it in fertile soil. He planted it like a willow by abundant water and it sprouted and became a low spreading vine. Its branches turned toward him, but its roots remained under it. So it became a vine and produced branches and put out leafy boughs. But there was another great eagle with powerful wings and full plumage The vine now sent out its roots toward him from the plot where it was planted and stretched out its branches to him for water. It had been planted in good soil by abundant water so that it would produce branches, bear fruit, and become a splendid vine. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Will it thrive? Will it not be uprooted and stripped of its fruit so that it withers? All its new growth will wither. It will not take a strong arm or many people to pull it up by the roots. Even if it is transplanted, will it thrive? Will it not wither completely when the east wind strikes it? Wither away in the plot where it grew? Then the word of the Lord came to me, Say to this rebellious house, Do not, do you not know what these things mean? Say to them, The king of Babylon went to Jerusalem and carried off her king and her nobles, bringing them back to him to Babylon. Then he took a member of the royal family and made a treaty with him, putting him under oath. He also carried away the leading men of the land so that the kingdom would be brought low, unable to rise again, surviving only by keeping his treaty. But the king rebelled against him by sending his envoys to Egypt to get horses and a large army. Will he succeed? Will he who does such things escape? Will he break the treaty and escape? Skipping down to verse 22. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. 
I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost roots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel I will plant it. I will, it will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the field will know that I and the Lord bring down the tall tree and make the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. Sam, can you come lead us in prayer? King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom His dominion endures from generation to generation. Daniel chapter 4. It really is one of the most unique passages in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 4 is the only part of the Old Testament that was written by a pagan Gentile. So this chapter is really the record of a conversion of the King of Kings once he recognized who the Most High God truly is. The Lord of all, he recognized the Lord of all, and of course he understood who the King of Kings truly was, even though that he recognized himself as the King of Kings in that world. Nebuchadnezzar makes peace with God in the rest of his reign over Babylon, which if you remember our study in Daniel, Babylon had become the new temple in which God's people would serve him. So the rest of his reign over this world was marked by peace and prosperity. And by the way, what we have here with Daniel chapter 4, if I could put this into a historical context for you, is really the vindication of the Lord's prophets who served in Jerusalem at this period of time. This is contemporary with the time of Jeremiah the prophet and it's also the time of Ezekiel the prophet. And if we look at Jeremiah, a particular passage I'll just turn to real quick and read, Jeremiah actually told the people that they should go to Babylon and submit to Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar had become God's servant. Jeremiah chapter 38, we hear the prophet telling the people, This is what the Lord says, Whoever stays in this city, that is Jerusalem, will die by the sword, famine, or plague, but whoever goes over to the Babylonians will live. He will escape with his life, he will live, And this is what the Lord says, This city will certainly be handed over to the army of the king of Babylon who will capture it. Then the official said to the king, This this man should be put to death. He is discouraging the soldiers who are left in this city as well as all the people by the things he is saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of these people but their ruin. And so we come here to Daniel chapter 4 and we understand why the prophet in God's providence had told Israel to submit to Babylon because actually God was doing a remarkable work in Babylon. And you see this very big theme going on that this this time of exile, this time of destruction of Jerusalem when the temple would be destroyed was not really a time of distress. It was actually a time of new opportunity for Israel. And so God's prophets had told the people to submit to Babylon, to submit to Nebuchadnezzar and to do the Lord's will in Babylon. And so this is actually a vindication of what the prophet's word was. In fact, what you actually find out is that the Israelites who had resisted Babylon, who rebelled against the king later, were actually rebelling against God's servants. 
And we see this with Daniel being raised to the right hand of the king Nebuchadnezzar when Nebuchadnezzar did finally go in and destroy Jerusalem about 20-something years after he, after he took Daniel and his three friends to Babylon. It was actually a coming of the king of, through the Lord's providence with Daniel as his right-hand man. And so you can imagine from their perspective in Israel, Daniel was a great traitor because he had gone over to the other side. In fact, he now was ruling in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. And so, when you read Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 14, there's some humor involved in these situations with the prophets because the people saw the prophets as traitors because of what they were prophesying in the name of the Lord. Ezekiel 14:14, 14, 14, you have the prophet saying, Son of man, if a country sins against me by being unfaithful and I stretch out my hand against it to cut off its food supply and send famine upon it, and kill its men and their animals, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they could save only themselves by their righteousness, declares the Sovereign Lord. What's the prophet putting Daniel in this passage next to Noah and Job? We know who Noah and Job were. They were righteous men in our history. But who is this Daniel? Who is this traitor? Well, there's some humor behind that because the prophet puts Daniel in the context of Noah and Job. we someone that they would think of as a traitor. So this chapter 4 of Daniel actually explains a lot of things in the context of Israel. Israel had become Egypt through their wickedness and God was calling his people out of Egypt. This is really another time of exile and so Nebuchadnezzar actually provides a place for him and we saw how Daniel, the story of Daniel is really like a new story of Joseph because Daniel went ahead into Babylon many years before the destruction of Jerusalem and prepared a place for his brothers to come later. So all of these different stories and themes are playing in the book of Daniel. This is actually another exodus, and so we should not be surprised to find out there are signs and wonders performed during this, during this time. The signs and wonders should give you a tip-off in the very first section of Daniel chapter 4. That we're going through this new change that God is making a new world. When you think about signs and wonders in the Bible, you can think about two other particular times in the history of Israel. The Exodus was a time of signs and wonders, but also the time of the New Testament was also a time of signs and wonders. And we see that in the book of Acts, when God was calling his people out of the old Jerusalem, which had become also like Egypt and Sodom, if you read the book of Revelation. Israel had become Judah in the land in Jerusalem had become Sodom and Egypt and God was calling his people out of it and he called his people he prepared a new temple before he brought about the final destruction of his old temple in Jerusalem so a lot of these themes are repeating in the Bible these stories are playing on one another and as I mentioned to you earlier as we've gone through Daniel chapter 4 there is a theme in the literary structure of Daniel chapter 4 uh, Daniel, the whole book of Daniel is broken up into 10 different literary sections And so we come now to the fourth literary section in Daniel chapter 4, which matches the fourth commandment to honor the Lord through Sabbath rest. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And of course, the Sabbath law pointed to our rest in Christ. We keep the true Sabbath by resting from the work of our hands and placing our trust in Christ. And so this chapter 4 matches the fourth commandment because what we find is Nebuchadnezzar finds true rest in his conversion to the true king of kings who is Lord of all. You notice in the chapter later we'll see how the king became proud of the works of his own hands 
That is, he broke the Sabbath. He rested in the works of his own hands and was humbled by the angel of the Lord and restored by repentance. So by the end of Daniel 4, we see King Nebuchadnezzar had entered God's rest, the true Sabbath of redemption. So let's read this again, beginning in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, his proclamation to all nations and peoples, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. King Nebuchadnezzar is filled with zeal after his conversion, after his experience that we're going to read about later in Daniel 4. He writes his own experience down in a letter and he sends it out to everyone near and far and King Nebuchadnezzar and through him representing the whole kingdom of Babylon had converted to the God of Daniel and wanted everyone to know of the glory of the Most High God. And this is really a remarkable event in Old Covenant history, in Old Testament history. Like I said before, God's people looked at this time as a very dark time in their history when Jerusalem would be destroyed, when the temple would be burned, and then, and then all of God's people would be carried off into exile, those that were not destroyed. And yet, notice what God did through this time. God was establishing His kingdom in the world in a way that it had not been established before. He was causing His glory to go out to the nations in a way that it had not been done before. In fact, Israel was called to be a priest to the other nations. Israel was called to spread this glory to the nations. And yet, through the apostasy of Israel, they had failed. And so, God does something remarkably amazing with, with actually Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. This was not a step backwards for Israel, for God's faithful people like Daniel and his friends. They entered a new era of great opportunity for the expansion of the covenant faith of Abraham. Through the king's proclamation, the gospel had gone out to the entire ancient world. And of course, this, this era, this time, this, this amazing story in the Old Testament prefigures another era when God had condemned another temple in Jerusalem and called his people out with the gospel and we see the gospel going to the Gentiles. So this is actually a prefigurement of the New Testament with the with spread of the gospel to the Gentiles. God was doing new things. That's what the story of Daniel 4 really tells us all about. So let's continue in verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, content, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid as I was lying on my bed. The images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Now we have a translation problem here because although Nebuchadnezzar says that the spirit of the holy gods, plural, is in Daniel, the plural there is actually designed to magnify the power and the glory of the Most High singular God. So there's, there's a problem with some of our translations because it's not as if Nebuchadnezzar was a polytheist who believed in many gods. He had actually recognized the one true God from what had happened in Daniel chapter 3 in the fiery furnace. 
So he's actually understanding who God is and he knows that the spirit of the holy God as in the one true God is in Daniel and he had experienced with this dream with the first dream that he interpreted back in Daniel chapter 2. So this is actually the second dream of Nebuchadnezzar and notice again Nebuchadnezzar is terrified at what he saw in his dream. The same thing had happened with his dream of the statue back in Daniel 2, the, the statue of the metal man image of God's temple had also frightened Nebuchadnezzar. But Daniel had interpreted it and taught the king that the Lord of history had chosen him to be the head of the statue for a time. So we see this, this, this context here building up to Daniel chapter 4. Then in Daniel chapter 3, we saw that the fiery furnace had taught Nebuchadnezzar that the Jews were God's chosen authority to lead the priesthood and sacrifice. Remember that Nebuchadnezzar's self-made temple and self-made sacrifice in the plain had actually failed. The king is learning, but it is clear in the story that Nebuchadnezzar believed up until this event that God would be, could be ignored in the political realm. What he had to learn still is that God is not only sovereign over the times and errors in the government of men, he is also involved and concerns himself with the details of daily life in the kingdom as well. So let's continue in our story in verse 9. Nebuchadnezzar says, I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying on my bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it the beasts of the field found shelter and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass for, by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. There is a remarkable similarity here between the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and what Ezekiel was prophesying and pronouncing against Assyria. And before we go to that passage in Ezekiel that I think we need to look at to understand this dream more, we need to understand that what we have here are trees in God's garden. Notice, if you remember back to the garden, God's Garden series that, that we worked through, remember in the God's Garden there was a specific location for the trees of the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you remember back in the garden, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil were placed in the middle of the garden. 
And we see here, this is actually a link back to the Garden of Eden when we were dealing with this vision that Nebuchadnezzar saw in verse 10. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land, the middle of the earth. And so we should think back to the Garden of Eden story because that's really where this imagery comes from. There's a relationship. But now let's go to Ezekiel chapter 31 because what's going on here is not unique as far as the imagery goes. Ezekiel chapter 31 and we'll see this proclamation of the prophet's judgment on Assyria, another nation in the ancient world. Verse 3, Consider Assyria once a cedar in Lebanon, that's a tree, a great tree, with beautiful branches overshadowing the forest. It towered on high, its top above the thick foliage, the waters nourished it, deep springs made it grow tall, their streams flowed all around its base, and sent their channels to all the trees of the field. So it towered higher than all the trees of the field. Its boughs increased and its branches grew long, spreading because of abundant waters. All the birds of the air nested in its boughs. All the beasts of the field gave birth under its branches. All the great nations lived in its shade. It was majestic in beauty with its spreading boughs, for its roots went down to abundant waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not rival it, nor could the pine trees equal its boughs, nor could the plane trees compare with its branches. No tree in the garden of God could match its beauty. I made it beautiful with abundant branches, the envy of all the trees of Eden in the garden of God. And notice what happens to Assyria. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, because it towered on high, lifting its top above the thick foliage, and because it was proud of its height, I handed it over to the ruler of the nations for him to deal with according to its wickedness. I cast it aside and the most ruthless of foreign nations cut it down and left it. Its boughs fell on the mountains and in all the valleys its branches lay broken in all the ravines of the land. All the nations of the earth came out from under its shade and left. See the similarities there between the tree imagery and a nation? A nation that had ruled actually Assyria had been placed in the garden of God and we can understand why because Assyria through the preaching of Jonah had converted to the true faith. Remember Jonah had gone to Nineveh of Assyria the capital of Assyria and Nineveh had repented of their wickedness and of course later they became great and forgot that repentance and apostatized and so you have them placed in the, tree, in the garden of Eden and they were cut down because of their wickedness. Now you have Babylon through Nebuchadnezzar, who is a tree in the Garden of Eden, and though he was unfaithful, he understood who the, who the true God was, and he had understood that uh, God Most High was with Daniel, and Daniel's God was the one true God, and yet he was also still arrogant, and we'll see in the story how he is also cut down like Assyria. So this imagery all goes back to God's garden. In a sense, Nebuchadnezzar had become a tree of life, a tree of knowledge to that world. His rule sustained the nations and yet his dream frightened him because it was about a great and terrible interruption. Notice the judgment. His mind would be changed to the mind of an animal for the passing of seven times. And we tend to think of seven times here as seven years but actually, it doesn't say years. It only has seven times. 
it's more likely seven months because actually in Babylon, their calendar was run off of a lunar calendar. So they would base their, their time system based on moons. So it's more likely seven months, although the text doesn't say how long Nebuchadnezzar would actually be thrown down for this time. But the high and mighty Nebuchadnezzar would be brought low for a week of time. And that's important to understand. This is a week of time. And this would be a time for a new creation. Nebuchadnezzar would be a new creature at the end of this creation or decreation week. So let's continue in our story in verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. You, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw a messenger. And actually in the text, it's actually watcher. A holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed it may be that then your prosperity will continue. You can understand why the other astrologers did not want to interpret this dream. Who would want to tell the king that message? So it very well may be that they did understand exactly what this dream was about. But it is also interesting that Nebuchadnezzar comes to Daniel last again. Remember that was the same basic pattern back in Daniel chapter 2. It may be that Daniel, maybe that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar already understood that this dream was talking about him, just like he understood that the first dream in Daniel 2 was talking about him, and he really was not, was not interested in you know, trying to find another alternative explanation. So he should have learned better, though. He comes to Daniel last, and he hears the straight talk of the interpretation of the dream. And Daniel is appalled at this dream. Remember, we can understand why here if we think about the context. Daniel is a friend and pastor to Nebuchadnezzar. So this is not something that Daniel was actually hoping for on the behalf of the king. The king had actually been very good to him. This would be a scary revelation for Daniel as well, not just Nebuchadnezzar, because Daniel's future is tied to Nebuchadnezzar's future. Misfortune for the king would likely be misfortune for Daniel. But perhaps even worse, what weighed on Daniel... What terrified Daniel is that the, the problem this might pose for God's people. 
Nebuchadnezzar had provided a home for the exiles of Judah. He had placed Jews into authority around his government across the land. An end to his reign would be a setback for God's people. What would happen to the Jews? Because we remember back in Daniel chapter 3, there are already people out to get the Jews who did not worship like the Chaldeans. They had looked for ways to bring down the Jews to bring about the death of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So there was already people in the kingdom looking for them to bring them down. So what would this, what would this dream be? So you can understand Daniel's concern. And there may be precedent in Israel's history in the back of Daniel's mind. Do you remember the story of Jonah? I'm going to keep coming back to the story of Jonah because I think Jonah is actually very much parallel to what happened here with, with Daniel in Babylon. What happened at the end of the book of Jonah? Remember the vine that sprang up and provided shade for Jonah after he preached the gospel to, Jonah, to the Ninevites and they repented from the king down to the animals and sackcloth and ashes? We have this story at the very end of Jonah. We had this vine that sprang up and provided shade for Jonah and then the vine died and the prophet was scorched by the sun. And I think there's a lot of symbolism in that story of Jonah. The vine represented the speedy conversion of Nineveh of Assyria and Jonah represents Israel. Israel was blessed for, from the conversion, from the repentance and conversion of Nineveh of Assyria. But a few hundred years later, Nineveh of Assyria forsook their conversion and became a warlike foe to Israel again. And so Nineveh, of course, being the capital of Assyria, Assyria conquered the northern ten tribes, which is what the scorching of Jonah really symbolized. So this vine provided shade for a while for God's people, Jonah being symbolic of God's people. Then the vine was cut down and great turmoil and great judgment came upon God's people. And so Daniel would naturally be terrified at what the chopping down of Nebuchadnezzar would mean for his people. And by the way, this chopping down of trees is not something that we just see here in the prophets. It's not this strange Edenic communication. We see it also in the New Testament, actually with the prophet John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist, what did he tell the Pharisees when they came out to hear him preach in the wilderness? He said, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. So this fits in this bigger theme of God the gardener who takes care of his garden. Notice that Daniel actually repeats what he learned from Jonah in verse 27. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. And the basis here is is based off the principles that we see in the prophets is the people repent from their sins, turn from their ways of wickedness and, and change their life. Then sometimes God will change the pronouncement of judgment. We see that with Jonah and Nineveh. We see that in other places. And so what, what Daniel is saying is, O king, if you repent, then you could avert this disaster. This judgment could be changed. But either way, the old way of Nebuchadnezzar had to go. Nebuchadnezzar would either undergo his own death to self, death to sin, death to injustice in his reign, and renounce his pride, or God would bring about a symbolic death. And we can understand from the story that Nebuchadnezzar is a prideful person. Go back to Daniel chapter 3 and the statue that he put up of himself and you'll see that he was a very proudful and arrogant person. 
And it may be here that, that Nebuchadnezzar changed his ways for a time. Verse 28 tells us that this actually did not come to pass until another year down the road. And so it very well may be that he took, took to heart Daniel's advice for a period of time and mended his ways. We'll see next segment how this dream was fulfilled. When arrogant Nebuchadnezzar walked on the roof of his palace and boasted in his heart about the work of his own hands, again, violating the Sabbath law. And we'll see actually how this idea of Nebuchadnezzar walking across the palace roof in arrogance actually matches a very big story in Israel's own history as well. Because if you remember in Israel's history, there was a great king who also became great and walked on his palace roof, committed an act of arrogance, and King David was actually removed from the throne for a period of time as well. So we have this recapitulation of Israel's history going on in the Gentile story of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, David committed an arrogant act. It, all of that turned itself into a, into a rebellion in David's realm. David was removed from the throne, was driven from the throne for a period of time until the rebellion was, was conquered when David became humble again. So we're going to see the parallels here between what happened with Nebuchadnezzar and what happened to David later in this chapter. For now, I want to point out that the humiliation of Nebuchadnezzar would follow a pattern of God's judgment that he is already doing. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. I'm just following the pattern here of the theme of chopping down a tree, leaving a stump to be resurrected. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. This passage is actually quoted in the New Testament a couple of times. Then I said, For how long, O Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants, until the houses are left deserted, and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken. Talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. And though a tent remains in the land, it will again be laid waste, but as the terebinth and the oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. You see the parallel between the cutting down of Israel in the land and the cutting down of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. God was doing something new in this world in Daniel's day. First, it was Israel's great tree in God's garden that was cut down. Then it would be Nebuchadnezzar representing Babylon. And so God's judgment here, understood in the wider context of the prophets in the history of Israel, would follow a pattern that should be very familiar to us. The new world would come in, Jew first, and then to the Gentile. The judgment would come to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. In fact, think back to Daniel 1 in the connection between the new diet of Daniel and his three friends. This was a resurrection diet. Remember Daniel 1 where Daniel and his three friends refused to eat the fatness from the king's table. Instead, they chose to eat only seeds, plants. 
and to only drink water. They were rededicating themselves into a new life, into what God is doing, into a new covenant. And so you see here with this, this dream, this prediction of what the king in Babylon would do. He would also eat plants of the field and drink the dew from heaven, what we might call a baptism. And so we see that both Jew and Gentile would enter this new world, enter this new order God was creating by death, burial, and resurrection. The Jew would be rededicated to God first in the person of Daniel and his three friends representing the nation. And they would serve God in his new house, in his new temple in Babylon. But the Gentile would also enter this new kingdom the very same way. By acknowledging the lordship of the one true God over all of life, Daniel is telling a most remarkable prophetic story of the gospel of Jesus Christ to come at the end of the ages. Let's pray. Our Father, you have made us and not we ourselves. You have breathed your breath of life upon us and made us alive to you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy for placing us in your garden. We thank you for your your protection, your wisdom that you bless us with each and every day. We thank you for these stories of your works of of mighty power, your majestic signs and wonders that we have as our heritage. We pray that you bless us and strengthen us. May we be wise as trees planted by rivers of living water to the world around us. We may provide food for the animals of of your creation, for the birds of the air. We might um, extend your glory from sea to sea and cause the light to go out to the nations. In Jesus Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.